Thank you, Kobe. It was excellent as always. Take that off. Good morning. How's everybody? I got a thumbs up. That'll work. That'll do. That'll do. Uh, we're going to just kind of jump right in again this week. Uh, last week we started chapter 7. And uh, if you weren't able to hear that message, I encourage you to go back and, uh, and listen to it, especially the first part. We talked a lot about last week about um, how complex life is. Now, I know that's not a newsflash to anybody that life is complex, but specifically we talked about how when we were kids growing up that the world seemed very black and white. There was a right answer and there was a wrong answer, and that's just the way the world worked. But as we grow up, um, we realize that there's a lot more gray area than what we first uh, were aware of. And so as we grow, we learn how to deal with, um, with those gray areas. And, and if we're honest, we like simple solutions, right? Um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes the answers are not straightforward. And so we have to, to really dig in, spend some time with the Lord and get some direction from Him. We're going to talk more about that today. But I want you to keep that in mind um, as we read through our text today. Uh, we're going to talk specifically today, we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about prosperity. And what our tendency is, is that when we talk about those things, to see the black and white. And while that's good, we need to also be thinking about the gray area that happens when we're, when we're talking about that. There, you know, there's a, uh, a great complexity to our emotions and to our, our brains and how they function. And a lot of times what we want to be black and white they're just not because we're complex people. And we're going to dive into that a little bit today. Um, you know, I was thinking about it this way. A lot of times when we're dealing with our own issues or issues with other people, we want the, the equation to be, you know, A plus B equals C, right? That's, we want things to be simple like that. But a lot of times there's just a lot of unknown variables um, that come into play as we're dealing with life. And so we've got to figure out what to do with those variables. So um, we're, going to, we're going to dig in here in just a second. But uh, I want us to... Um, to just take a moment this morning and, and to remember that, that our goal in this study is to, to, to learn what it means to be God's love in a broken world, right? That's what we've been talking about through this entire book. And so last week we talked a lot about death, we talked about wisdom, and this week we're going to talk about wisdom some more uh, and some of the things that kind of encircle that. And I want us to keep in mind that this is not just information for us to, to hoard, to just receive and keep for ourselves. But the goal is, is that that we would take this in, we'd let the Holy Spirit do a work in our life so that we can share these things with the people that we're doing life with. So it's not just about us. I had that conversation with my kids this week, you know, the decisions that we make, and I've had that conversation with you guys a lot. The decisions that we make are not just about us. They don't impact just us. They impact the people that, that, um, that live around us. And, and our goal, right, as believers is to do what? Jesus calls us to love God and to love people, right? And so the way that we live, the way that we approach wisdom, the way that we approach our emotions, those things uh, are not just about us. They're about our relationship with God and they're about our relationship with others. So let's jump in the text this morning. We're going to start, um, we'll read the whole section, but we'll kind of break it down after that. I like to read it in a chunk so you can kind of get your brain wrapped around uh, the idea that's coming across. So today we're in Ecclesiastes 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 14. So uh, look on your phone, your Bible, or up on the screen, and let's read this together. Or I'll read it. You just read it in your head. Don't try to read it out loud. That's not going to work well. <laughs> we haven't practiced that. All right, here we go. Verse 7. Surely the practice of exhortation turns, extortion, excuse me, turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, a patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. 
Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Don't say, why were the former days better than these, since it is not wise of you to ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. I want to remind you, we talked about this briefly last week, is that our text, the the form and structure of it made a huge change in chapter 7. And so it looks a lot like Psalms or Proverbs, wisdom literature that we've read in other places. Like if you look at it in your Bible, you won't notice it on the screen because it does some formatting things. But if you look at it in your Bible, you're going to look at that and go, wow, this looks a lot like the book of Proverbs. Or it looks a lot like Psalms because it's written kind of in these verses. Uh, And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of break those verses out and we're going to look at at each one. The first section we're going to look at today is verse 7 and 9. And the the first point I want to make today um, is that sin can spoil wisdom. Okay, sin can spoil wisdom. Let's talk about that. We've talked a lot about wisdom recently, um, but have you thought about the fact that a person can, can lose wisdom? Right? I think a lot of times we look at an idea like wisdom and you think, once I've learned the lesson, I've learned the lesson. Like, I, I own it now, it is mine. But, but think about all the things that you have learned in the past that you've already forgotten. Right? Like, if I were to go back and take an Algebra 2 class, which I took in high school and then a couple of times in college, we won't talk about that, I probably could not do Algebra 2 anymore. Right? I've, I've lost that. It's gone from me. But, but we want to talk specifically today about the fact that, that the decisions that we make can derail our wisdom. Just because information is given to us doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily make good use of it, right? Someone can give us great advice, wise advice, but that doesn't mean we're going to, we're going to use it. Because of free will in combination with the fact that we live in a sinful world, um, we have the option to ignore the wisdom that we're given, right? Which is a detriment to us and the people around us, obviously. And that's what's being described in these first two verses. Look at me, uh, with me again at these first three verses. And I want you to see what the preacher's talking about in terms of wisdom. And I, I want us to be clear that just we don't need to make the assumption that because we've gained wisdom that it's not ever going to leave us. The preacher's showing us that that's not the case. Look at verses 7 through 9 again. It says, Surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the mind. The end of the matter is better than its beginning, A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Like we know and we recognize, we talk about a lot about the fact that we live in a sinful world, right? It's it's around us. You can't avoid the, the, the recognition of it. But even though we recognize it, the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we diligent in protecting ourselves from it? Now, that can take a lot of different shapes and forms, and, and to pick on the Baptist church a little bit, you know, the reason that, that the Baptist church historically has condemned dancing is because they thought it was going to lead to something else, right? And so there's a difference in, in being practical and in, and in creating these overarching rules that prevent you from doing life with people, right? I'm not saying that dancing is good or bad. That's not the issue today. I'm saying that we don't need to just make these blanket statements that cover everything. 
But we do need to protect ourselves because we are constantly bombarded with opportunities to sin, right? Temptation is all around us, and we need to be careful about the decisions that we make. Because if we choose to continue to live in that temptation, if we don't do anything about it, we're setting ourselves up for failure because then the question is not a question of, of if, but a question of when, right? If we continue to live in that temptation. In, in doing that, if we choose to live in sin, and then we, we choose to, to give into that sin, right? If we live in temptation and we give into that sin, what's going to be affected more than anything is, that, is, our, is our inner life, right? Like our spiritual life is going to be affected. It's going to be brought to ruin because instead of our focus being on God, it's on the sin that we've allowed in our lives. And God's grace is still sufficient. I'm not saying that it's not. But why would we subject ourselves and then by proximity the people that live with us to sin. Why would we willingly choose to do that? In our text today, the preacher specifically points to extortion and bribery because he knows that those are the area of our finances are where we are especially vulnerable, right? We've talked about that in the last couple of weeks as we've talked about wealth. And I think for him, if this is King Solomon, as we've talked about it, the possibility is, you know, here is a man who is sitting on the highest of the high thrones and I'm sure that this is a, an issue that he was constantly faced with. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't get a lot of offers for bribes. So it's not a temptation necessarily that I need to deal with, okay? I'm not that important of a person. But the fact is, is that sin still exists and we need to deal with it a, accordingly. We're vulnerable in the area of our, our finances, as we've talked about, because that's where we find our security, right? We've talked about how, how pointless it is to try to find our security there. And, and we'll, we'll look at that and we'll say, well, you know, well, you got to have money to live. And that's, that's true. But rather than depending on God to be our provider, we seek security in what we have or in the case of this text, what we potentially could have. And, and that idea that I need money to, to live, I mean, that's, it's truth. But if we're putting our trust in that, what we're doing is we're making an excuse that is sin that's disguised in goodness, right? As a father, I know that I need to, to work to bring in money to provide for my family. But there's a line there that we can't cross. When we think about the fact, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to take care of my family, we, our intentions are good, but, but we aren't depending necessarily completely on God. And we need to do that. Like God gave me a job. That's how I provide for my family. But if I take God out of that equation and my focus just becomes on the job itself and trying to make money, I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my security in, in my employer, in the fact that I know how to work harder, that I'm good at what I do. And so instead of trusting God, we're surrendering our trust to a false sense of security or a false hope. We've, we've already seen that our money is hevel, right? We've talked about that, that, that money can come and go. And you've probably experienced that in your own life already. We shouldn't find security in things that won't last. I was trying to, to think about another way to say this, a way that would, that would make sense. And so for me, I, I'm, we're going to talk about fences for a minute, okay? I know a lot about fences. I've built a lot of fences. Um, and most of you probably have a fence in your yard. Raise your hand if you've got a fence in your yard. Okay, some of you guys. If you've ever had a fence in your yard. Okay, most everybody, all right? Fences are great. They keep things that need to be out, out, and then they keep things that need to be in, in. We'll use a dog as an example. So you have a dog, but you don't have a fence, and you decide, I need to build a fence. So you go to Lowe's or any, your big box of choice, and you say, okay, 
I need to build a fence. And there's a lot of options there. You can use a metal fence, a, a hurricane fence, chain link fence. And those are great. They work well, but they're kind of expensive. And you go, well, that's a little out of my budget. Let's, uh, let's go with a wooden fence. That's a little cheaper. So you go to the, to the lumber section and you see some posts that are treated so that they don't rot. And then you see some posts that are untreated. And you go, well, you know, these both feel strong. They both feel sturdy. I'll go with the untreated because it's cheaper. And so you go buy all your lumber and you build your fence. And over the years, you, you don't see it, but, but beneath the ground, that post is rotting, right? And the point of the fence was to keep the things that are supposed to be in, in. It's supposed to keep your dog in, is our example. It's supposed to keep other dogs out. But one day you wake up and the, the fence has fallen down and, and the dog has run away. And, and you go, but wait a minute. These were, we, these were both strong posts. Like I looked at the treated and I looked at the untreated. What happened? Well, what happened was you put your trust in the wrong thing, right? There's, a, there's an obvious reason that, that they sell treated posts. But rather than, than listening to the experts who go, hey, if you're going to build a fence, here's the materials that you should use, you lean on your own wisdom and you go, oh, yeah, but these are both strong. I can just use the cheaper one and it'll be okay. Right? That's what it's like for us. When we, when we choose to ignore God's direction for our life, when God is saying, do this, and you go, you know, God, that sounds good, but I came up with this plan over here and I think it'll work just fine. We're putting our hope, we're putting our trust in something that's, that's fallible, something that, that can corrode and, 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 and go away. This may seem oversimplified, but, but that's the logic that we use when we're trying to find security in our finances. We're saying, I'm gonna, I know that I'll be well taken care of when it, I come to retirement age because I'm going to do all these things. Well, you know, I was talking with somebody the other day. Their, their parents did all the right things, had the right amount of money, and then something happened in their life that was outside of their control, and they lost it all. And it's not because they made bad decisions. It's because money is, is heavy. It's temporary. And now their, their parents have, you know, they're well into retirement years, and they're having to figure out how to do life because even though they, 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 put all the, they did all the right things, they checked all the right boxes, they had all the right accounts, all of that stuff, things happen. And so rather than putting our trust in that, we need to put our trust in the Lord. The preacher's warning us that this is a weak spot for all of us. And even though we may be wise, if we're not careful we're going to give in to the temptation of going after more wealth because we believe that that will give us more security. And then when we do that, the result is, is that our wisdom turns into foolishness. That's why I say it can spoil. Because you let this idea come into your head and it rots away at the wisdom. This, this wisdom that you were given is now changed because you've changed it and you've trusted in something and you've changed that wisdom into foolishness okay i wanted to make the point that the that the wise are not immune to foolishness right just because you've gained some wisdom doesn't mean that there won't be an area of your life where you may act foolishly he continues this thought in the second half of verse eight we'll deal with the first part of verse eight in just a minute but just the second half of verse eight says a patient spirit is better than a proud spirit you know, when we think about pride, pride presumes accomplishment. And in a world in which all things are temporary, it's not possible to achieve or to know everything. Think about this. A person's pride is established in something that they think that they are perfect at, or at least really, really good. That's what causes pride, pride to well up in us. 
But that thing that we've convinced ourselves that we're so good at is hevel. It's changing. It's temporary. And so how can we know everything? How can we gain everything in something that's constantly changing? We can't. All can be lost. Money and wisdom are not immune to the hevelness of this world. We find ourselves in a state of foolishness when we believe that in area, any area of our lives that we understand or we have accomplished all that we need to. And if there's an area in our life where we feel like we're in that place, then we're unwilling to receive godly counsel on that. We are allowing sin to seep into our lives. And we're not proving how wise we are, but in fact, we're proving how foolish we are. If you think you're an expert in something, there's always somebody who knows more. Even if you're the leading expert, God still knows more. And so for us to close ourselves off to godly counsel is foolish. It's, better, it's a better and more valuable trait to be patient. To be patient means that you're willing to wait, to see a thing through before casting judgment on it. A lack of patience is evident when anger arises. We talked about that in verse 9. Look at it with me again. And we're going to see that anger reveals that you don't understand and that you're giving your way to anger is foolishness. Look at uh, verse 29. It says, uh, Proverbs 14, 29. It says, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. When we get angry over a situation, often it's because our pride has told us that, that we know better. When we get angry, it's because our pride has told us that we know better. Rather than letting God speak into those issues and reveal his purposes, we lean on our limited perspective and then make the assumption that, that we know what's going on. And the result is that, is that we have an incomplete perception because we haven't allowed God to speak into that. If we're patient and we wait for God's revelation... We can bypass the heartache and the frustration and enjoy the peace that comes in trusting God. Look at verse 9 again. It says, don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of fools. Look, if there's, a, if there's an area in your life where you are consistently experiencing anger, if you're in a season of anger over something, or if you automatically, when life doesn't go your way, if you default to anger, there is a lack of understanding and wisdom in that area of your life. If you default to anger, it means that there is something that you don't understand or don't know. And it's to your benefit to give that area of your life over to God to say, God, look, this is an area where, where I need some work. Bethy and I were joking about this this morning. Charlie has gotten to a place, like this morning, she was dressed and ready to go. And she came in my room and was like, are we going to go yet? And Bethany kind of laughed at it. And I said, she got that from her daddy. Because I can't tell you how many times I would get angry because I was ready to go and no one else was. How dare they? Right? Not to mention the fact that the kids aren't ready and mom's trying to do all the kid things and dad's sitting in the car going, oh, where's everybody at? Right? But there was some misunderstanding. There were some things that I didn't know. Some things that were happening that I didn't realize needed to happen. Think about this last week. Think about anything difficult that you faced. How did you immediately respond? What was your gut reaction to the difficulties? It's good for us to look at how, our, you know, how we have these knee-jerk reactions. It's good for us to look at those and examine them and use them as a litmus test for where we are spiritually in that area of our life. Do you default to bitterness, anger, envy, 
Or do you default to patience and kindness and love? Does the fruit of the Spirit, is that the things that come out when things get hard? When our default response to life is sinful, we need to address those things. So when we look at our life, when something difficult happens, if our default response is sin, we need to let God deal with that. That's how we grow. That's how we become better people. That's how we become God's love in a broken world is that we begin to act more like God and less like the world. Sometimes we see it and sometimes we're blind to it. Sometimes we need someone in our life that can go, hey, you, you may not realize it, but your response to this was not correct. And we need to welcome that kind of, that kind of um, input into our lives. Last week, when we talked about mentors and leaders in our lives, this is one of the reasons that they're so important, that you have people that, that are wise, that are godly, that are in your life, that can speak into your life and, and say difficult things to you and say, look, I, I see this happening in your life and I know that it's a struggle, but you need to make some change here. And when we get that feedback, we need to be thankful. Even though it's, it's hard, even though it's hard to hear those things, we need to receive them. The next point I want to make is that living in the past will waste our lives. We're going to jump back and grab that first part of verse 8 because it, it ties in with verse 10. And that's just the way he, he laid it out. But let's read the first part of verse 8 and then verse 10. It says, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And then verse 10 it says, don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. Have you ever, um, have you ever noticed when you're in the car, if you look in the, the passenger side mirror, there's some text there. Anybody know what that text says? Wow. Okay. I'd like you to look at that, Craig. You know what it says? What's it say? Objects are closer than they appear. Okay. Good job, Craig. He's the only good driver we have in the whole building. Okay. Maybe you just didn't, you knew what it was and you didn't want to say it. There's a, in the bottom right mirror, if you haven't noticed it before, look. And it's, you know, I'll be honest, it's a little hard to read sometimes. But in your left passenger mirror, there's a thing, it says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. But it doesn't say that one on, on the driver's side, which is probably why you've not noticed it, okay? What's that about? The mirror on this side is different from the mirror on this side. It's different because it's convexed a little bit, which means it's, it's not flat like the one over here is. And the reason for that is it gives you a better angle of view on that side of your car because that's your blind side. Right? You can see this side because it's a lot closer. You can look down the side of the car, but you can't do that on that side. So they use a different kind of mirror, and there's a warning there. Right? While this is helpful, there's a reason that that warning's there. It's to make sure that the driver understands that while you can see what's there, you can physically see if an object is on that side of your car, your perspective is skewed. Right? That object is a lot closer to your car than it appears to be, and it appears differently because of the angle of the mirror. But that warning is there to help us to understand that our perspective is not right. And this is the same kind of warning that the teacher is giving us. Even though we, we think we can remember what's happened in our past, our memories are not perfect, okay? Now, you might be one of those people who are like, I got a memory like an elephant. I remember everything perfectly. You don't, okay? And I'm going to prove it to you. You ready? Here's what I want everybody to do, okay? I want you to take your fingers, and I want, here's, let me explain what's fixing to happen. Your brain tricks you every day, and you don't even realize it. So here's what I want you to do. Put your finger on the tip of your nose, okay? Now, I want you to look ahead. Don't look down at your finger. Look ahead, and in your peripheral, can you see your finger? 
Nod your head yes if you can, and you should be able to. You might think, well, I don't have a big nose like you. I don't see as well. All right, take your finger down. Okay, so you can see your finger in your peripheral vision. Now, looking straight ahead, do you see your nose? No, you don't. You know why you don't? Because your brain decided that that information is not important. And so it doesn't give you that feedback. Your nose is there. It didn't go anywhere. You just touched it. Okay, I didn't steal it. Look, yeah, yeah, you can try it again. You can see your finger, but you can't see your nose. Your brain turns that information off because it thinks it's not important. There are studies that say that our ears do the same thing. That we, when we don't fully hear something, our brain puts things in the gaps that it thinks are correct. If you're married, you may have had this happen with your spouse. I see some of you laughing, okay? Sometimes we're not fully listening. And so our brain inserts what it thinks was said instead of what was actually said, okay? You've seen a similar uh, thing also with cologne or perfume. You ever notice that you can put some, some smell good stuff on and it smells really great and then within like 30 seconds you don't smell it anymore? I think this is part of the reasons that why junior high boys always smell so strongly. Their brains have turned it off. That's what's happening. The smell didn't go away. It's still there. It's still on your clothes. It's still on your skin. But your brain goes, that's not important information anymore, so I'm going to just block that out. Our memories work in a very similar way. There's a lot of science behind this, and I'm not a scientist. I'm just telling you I've read this before. Our brains, we experience the world through our senses, right? Through sight, through smell, through touch, through taste, if you're, especially if you're a little one. Right? They put everything in their mouths. Our brains block out information that it decides is not important. Now, you didn't make a conscious decision that I'm not going to see my nose anymore. Right? Nobody does that. But our brains do it. And so, if, if the way that we experience the world, right, through our senses, if our brain can unconsciously turn some of that stuff off, the same is true in the area of our memory. When we're looking back on events that used to happen... And, and some of you may laugh because if, you're, if you are like me or you have a dad that's like me, like stories get more embellished every time I tell them. Have y'all experienced that before? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Asher. Okay. Every time you tell that story, it gets a little wilder, a little crazier, and it's not exactly like what it used to be. When we're living for the past, a lot of times the past that we remember that was so good is not really the way we remember it. And it's not just that we are purposely remembering it incorrectly. <laughs> My wife's laughing at me. It's not just that we're remembering it. In, I'm bad about embellishing stories. That's why she's laughing at me. It's not just that we're doing it purposely. It's that our brain fills in the gaps. It, it omits the parts that aren't fun. It omits the parts that were difficult. And a lot of times we just remember the good stuff, Right? And so if we are constantly, I bring all that up, because if we are constantly trying to recreate events that happened in our past, we're never going to be satisfied. And even worse than that, when we're living for the past, we are giving up on what's going to happen right now, what could happen right now. Often when we're wishing for the past, it's because we don't want to deal with what's going on in the present. I've been part of groups before that, that always talked about the past. They wanted to focus on the past. They wanted things to be like they used to be. And the, the, the real issue was is that life was not good in the moment. And so since they didn't know how to fix that, they said, well, this is a problem. So we need to go back to that because that wasn't a problem 30 years ago. No, there were problems then too. You just don't recall them or you're choosing not to, whichever the case may be. 
Contrary to the solid science that we found in the Back to the Future series, we can't go back, right? It doesn't matter how many flux capacitors you have. You can't go backwards and you can't go forwards. We are, we've talked about this before, we live in the confines of time, right? That's the only way we can exist is in our timeline where we are right now. And so if we're constantly thinking about the past or hoping for a better future, we're missing out on what God's doing right now in our lives. Look, if something difficult is going on, it's not by accident. We don't like to think about it, but it's true. We'll get into that in just a minute. But if we're stuck in the past, we're missing out on new experiences and opportunities to gain wisdom right now. Because we've talked about we gain wisdom through experiences, walking through those with God. Hoping for and pursuing things um, like they used to be means that we're ignoring what God is trying to do right now. We're giving up on what God is doing in the moment. And we're missing out on the goodness that God has for us right now because we're trying to recreate a fleeting moment. And when we do that, it's because we're convinced that we were happier in those days. If it's joy that we're looking for, the past is not where we're going to find it. We're going to find it in the moment. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 26. It says, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. For she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant and her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life. Uh, to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy the lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding by his knowledge the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped with dew maintain sound wisdom and discretion my son don't lose sight of them they will be life for you and adornment for your neck then you will go safely on your way your foot will not stumble When you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. Don't fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. Point number three I want to make today is that wisdom is our greatest asset on earth. God gives us the opportunity to learn because it's good for us. Look at verses 11 and 12 in Ecclesiastes 7. We're going to continue on. It says, wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Look, this this passage we just read in Proverbs spells it out for us. If you're looking for joy in your life, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for rest, the answer to all that is not the past. The answer to that is not in the world. The answer to that is at the feet of Jesus. It's in the wisdom that he provides. If we will allow ourselves, if we will abide in him as we are walking through life, the experiences that we have, if God is informing us, if he's giving his perspective on the things that we're going through, we're going to experience wisdom. We're going to gain wisdom and not ours, not earthly wisdom, godly wisdom. And that's where we're going to find our joy. That's where we're going to find our peace. That's where we're going to find our rest. That's where we're going to find our comfort. Wisdom is a characteristic of God, and we are created in God's image. God has given us the ability to be wise because he loves us, because he created us in his image. 
in here it talks about how wisdom is like silver. And, and we just talked about how wealth can help us in a lot of ways, but it can only go so far, right? Ultimately, it's wisdom that's provided by God as we walk through life with him. And often God's gift of wisdom comes through the people in our lives. When, when I'm abiding in Christ and the Lord is, is informing that walk, as I am experiencing things in life and God is speaking into that and I'm following in obedience to what he's doing, I'm gathering up wisdom, godly wisdom. And then as I'm having conversations with people and they say, Will, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, I can go, man, I've been that, through that before. Here's what God told me to do right? And then I'm not just hoarding that wisdom for myself. I'm sharing what God did in my life with others so that they can benefit from that as well. I can tell you from my own life that I am confronted regularly with things and areas where I need more wisdom, where I have not had the experiences required in order to deal with what's going on in my life. We, we looked last week at at Solomon before he became king and the, or right after he became king and God said what do you need and he said God that what you've put before me is greater than I am and I don't know how to deal with this so I need wisdom and God gave it to him look when we're struggling with things in life a lot of times it's because it is outside of our area of expertise it's things that we haven't dealt with before and so for me I have men and women in my life that are there for a purposeful reason that I can go to them and say, look, this is what's going on and I'm not sure how I need to respond. What would you do? Now these are godly people that I know that know the Lord and that seek Him, right? They are good counsel. And I need that in my life and you need it in yours because we're all, every day we're going to run into something new that we don't know how to deal with. And we can try to figure it out on our own or we can go to somebody who's got some expertise there, who's walked through that before and say, what do I need to do here? And then listen to what they're saying. Often the problem is, is that we run into our own pride. We come up to an experience and we go, I don't know how to deal with this. And we just do whatever we want. I was thinking about it this way. Bethany and I, when we first got married, we'd be driving down the road and we'd see something on the back of an 18-wheeler. And Bethany would say, what's that? And I'd just make something up. Sounded good, right? And it wasn't very long before she realized, Will is just making this stuff up. It wasn't helpful right? It was just me in my own pride going, I should know what that is. So I'm going to make something up so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I was trying to impress my new wife, right? But that wasn't helpful to her and it wasn't helpful to me. We need to let go of our own pride. Just like we discussed earlier, we think we know all that we need and therefore we don't seek advice. I want you to remember back to when you were a teenager. For some of you, that was not long ago, okay? Think back to when you were a teenager. Do you remember having moments where your parents were droning on with the way that you should make decisions or the decisions that you should make? And it's like watching, of course, y'all probably haven't watched that cartoon, um, the uh, Charlie Brown. You know, you hear the adult in the background, wah, 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 wah. That's all you heard from your parents. Do you remember thinking, God, I wish they would shut up. They're so dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. Do you remember thinking that? Okay, now, as an adult, do you still think that? You probably don't because now you've gained a little wisdom. You've got a little experience on your belt and you've realized, teenagers in the room, listen, your parents are not as dumb as you think they are, okay? They've got more experience. They've got wisdom in areas where you don't have. And that's the way life works. We don't know what we don't know, right? 
And so when we run up to something and we're not sure how to handle it, go seek some godly counsel. And I'm not saying you need to come to me. You can. But there's a lot of people in your life who know and love the Lord. Go talk to them. Ask them questions. Okay? God gave us the ability to both gain and to share wisdom. And it's our responsibility to both ask for wisdom when we need it, but also to give it when it's asked of us. To be good counsel. It would be foolish of us to not take advantage of that, okay? So if there's an uh, area of your life where you're experiencing hardship, seek out godly counsel. And then don't just listen to them. Take what they're saying and apply it to your life. Make some application and do the types of things that they're telling you to do. And then see what happens, right? Just see what happens. I say that all the time. Ultimately, if, if we're desiring to live a life with wisdom and in obedience to God, we need to trust God and those that he's placed in our lives to help us as we walk through it. So the last point for today is that we need to trust God with, the li- with your life no matter the circumstances. Look with me at verses 13 and 14 in Ecclesiastes 7. Consider the work of God, for who can straighten out what he has made crooked? And the day of prosperity be joyful. But in the, day, in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. If you think that verse 13 sounds familiar, it's because it does. We looked at something very similar to this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 15. It says, what is crooked cannot be straightened out. What is lacking cannot be counted. The preacher is repeating himself, reminding us that there are many areas of our lives where we are not in control. We do not possess control of those areas. Not only are they out of our control, but there's nothing that we can do to change the situations. We're just there. We're stuck in it. And so what do we do? When we experience times that are good and times that are bad, we need to trust that God is working in those experiences for our benefit. It's easy to be content and to trust God when life is good, but we must understand that Often when life gets hard, God is in that as well. He has orchestrated those events for our benefit. We talk about COVID and what's going on. I don't know why it's happening, but I can tell you that what there's been some benefit in my life as a result of this. Far more benefit than there has been been taken away. I've gotten to be spend more time with my family. I've been able to put things that have been on my list of to-dos getting those things done because I don't have all the other distractions around me in my life. That's just one example. Look at Romans 8, 20 through 23. Paul says this. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. But because of sin, the world that we live in is not always pleasant. And, and Jesus promises that we're going to have hardships. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to think about it. But when life is difficult, God, it's not because God has left us. It's because there's something that we need to learn. Glenn's talked about this before. And, and I always long for a time when I got to the place that he described where when something goes wrong, you okay, God, what are you up to? Now, it took a lot to get me there, and it wasn't fun, but it's been for my benefit because now when things flip upside down, instead of just freaking out, I can go, okay, God, what are you trying to accomplish? 
I have a better perspective on it. There's so much suffering and all of us have had our share of it or will have our share of it. And I want to remind you that when things are hard, you're going to learn more about yourself and about God than you're going to learn when things are easy and good. God is always working in our lives. In this passage from Romans, Paul is making it clear that we're going to suffer. Even those of us who have the Spirit of God in us are going to groan as we're having to deal with the sinful world that we live in. But we need to keep the perspective that God is working, that He's doing something in us. When life is hard, we can go to God and say, God, what are you doing here? And and remember, it may not be about you. You may be going through something difficult so that you can walk with somebody through something that's difficult. Don't always make it about you. When life gets hard, it might be that God's doing something in you, but it might also be that He's doing something in the life of people that you share that life with, right? It could be someone in your life. It could be someone significant. It could be one of your children. But we need to remember, we need to keep the perspective that even when life is hard, God is working. Whether God tells us what He's doing or not, we need to trust that He is working. Because I don't know about you, but when life goes upside, goes upside down, I do go to God and I say, God, what are you doing? What's this about? And sometimes he gives me the end goal, but often he does not. He just says, I'm with you, or be patient, or do this little thing. He doesn't give me the whole story. But because of the love that God's poured out on us, we can have confidence that we're not alone and that our suffering is not pointless. And by far the wisest thing that we could ever do is choose to trust God. When life gets difficult, when we don't know what's going on, we need to lean into Him and say, God, I don't know what's going on here. My life seems crazy. I trust you. Do with me what you need to do. And I can tell you through my own life experiences that God is, safe, is faithful to sustain you. He has sustained me through some really difficult times over my life. And He's going to do the same for you. Now, those things weren't easy, and I don't have any desire to go back to them. But they were good for me. I grew through that and I'm the man that I am today because of the hard things as well as the good things and the same is true for us and when we go through those experiences like I said it's not just about us it's about God working in us he's giving us experiences he is heaping wisdom onto us if we will allow him to inform us about what's going on in our lives but when we when we walk away from God in hard times When we say, God, I I don't even want to talk about this right now. When we walk away, we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity to let God speak and to let God inform us, give us his perspective about our lives. And I want to remind you of this too. If you're going through a hard time, if life is really tough right now, it's hevel. It's temporary. It's not always going to be here. Have faith. Trust God. When life gets nuts, go to the Lord. Talk to Him. Ask Him not only about the end, but ask Him what He's trying to teach you in the process. Look, there's a lot of wisdom out there for us to gain. There's a lot of area in our lives where we need to make adjustments, where the Lord's going to reveal sin and we need to address it and let Him deal with it. But we need to do those things. A lot of times our natural response when God points out sin in our lives is, is to hide, is to back away And say, I don't want to talk about this right now. But we need to. If the Lord points it out, deal with it and move on with life. At the end of the day, our goal is to, to, 
like I said a while ago, to know God and to love people. And one of the ways that we love God's people in a broken world is by living with wisdom, about speaking on the Lord's behalf, about sharing the things that God has shared with us. What we talked about in Colossians, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. The way Christ in us is the hope of glory is by us speaking to others the things that the Lord has spoken to us. It's about us saying the things to others that the Lord has said to us. It's about us sharing our lives with one another and saying, look, I'm struggling right here. Anybody in my life group, have you been through something like this before? If so, what was the Lord doing? Would you pray with me about this? And then walk through that hard time with those people. Don't just say, yeah, it sucked. Good luck to you. Right? We don't, that's not how we do life together. We need to embrace the difficulties, but do it together as a group. Do it together as a life group. Do it together as a body and share with your people what's going on in your life. If, if there's difficulty and you're not sharing with that with anybody, you're robbing yourself of an opportunity to gain some godly wisdom and also to gain some people to walk with you through that difficult time, right? Let's love God. Let's love people well. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today um, and for your encouragement for us to, to not just back away when life gets difficult, but to dig in, to seek you, to listen to you. Father, if we're going to be a people that, that loves you and loves others, it's going to require that we get beyond ourselves, that we move beyond living selfishly and just doing things that, that feel good or that appear to be good for us. Father, we're going to, it's going to require that we put others in a place of priority in our lives. And God, as, we are, as we're going through this time with COVID and, and with what's going on with us personally, God, I ask that you would not allow us to waste that time. God, whatever it is that you're trying to do in our lives, whatever work there is that, that needs to happen, God, I ask that not only would you make it obvious to us, but that you would give us the desire to push through, to follow you, to obey what you're saying. God, I ask that you would surround each of our members with godly people who can help them, who can walk through life with them. If they would be willing to, to share their experiences, even when it's difficult, even when it's not a comfortable conversation. God, I ask that you would allow us to move beyond our comfort, that that wouldn't be the priority in our lives anymore. That the priority in our lives would be simply obedience, to love you and to know you and to share that with others. But Father, that's a work that you're going to have to do in our hearts. It's, it's a work that this world needs. It's a work that we need, Father. And so I'm asking in Jesus' name that you give us those things. We love you. Amen.